Uh, well, today we're going to start a brand new series called Raise Them Up, and we're going to be talking about parenting. Parenting is hard. It's wonderful, it's rewarding, it's amazing, but boy, is it hard at times. And this year, this pandemic has not made anything any easier. And uh, I don't know about those of you that are parents, but um, as a dad, I'm tired. And I'm not even the one spending the bulk of the time around our kids. Like, that's what Abby's doing. She's doing all the uh, schooling and the, you know, making sure all the communication is right with the teachers and all of that stuff. And I get to escape most days and come over here and sit in the quiet and do some work. Um, And I'm still tired. But there's a lot of parents who have added classroom helper and uh, assistant to the teacher to their parenting job description this year. And, you know, for someone who has multiple kids doing this, like, stay-at-home thing, one thing that's made it even harder is that there has been no, uh, what what I'll call, relational space. Meaning that, you know, I love them, they love me, we all love each other, but sometimes we need to be apart. You know, and my kids usually get that. They go to school, and they would go to different classes, and they might pass in the halls a couple times a day. But now their only classmate is their sibling, and they see each other all day, every day. And so we've noticed as this, you know, there's no room to be apart for us to, you know, be by ourselves or have, you know, any change of scenery most days. Uh, everyone's getting a little more on edge. You know, our kids fight a little bit more. Uh, they tend to, you know, do those little frustrating things that, you know, didn't need to happen, but they just did it to make somebody mad on purpose kind of moments. Um, Abby and I have noticed our fuse is getting shorter uh, as this time goes on. <clears throat> so it's, it's, it's a difficult season to be in. Now, if you're here or if you're watching online and you're not a parent, you might be thinking, well, this isn't for me. I don't, I'm not in, I'm either, either you're not a parent or maybe you're past the, the active parenting years. You might say, this really isn't something that I need, so I can kind of tune out for the next few weeks. But here's the thing about kids and students is they need good, godly adults in their lives who are not mom and dad. Because there's going to be times, just because, I mean, not because they're kids, but because they're humans, is they're going to be mad at mom and dad. Mom and dad aren't perfect. And even if mom and dad do something that's right, sometimes they get mad anyway. You know how that is. And so they need other people that they can trust, that they can talk to. There's going to be seasons when there's going to be things they want to talk about that, you know, they're not comfortable bringing up to mom and dad. And it's nice to know that kids have a, a good network of adults who that mom and dad can trust saying, you know, they're, they're not talking to me right now, but I know they're talking to somebody who's going to give them good, godly, wise advice. And so just because you're not a parent or maybe you're a grandparent in this season, the kids in your life and the kids in this church still need relationships beyond mom and dad. And this church is a great place to be able to invest in some of those kids to help them uh, have a, a support network. And so you might play one, a, an important and pivotal formative Supporting role in a kid's life just because you don't have, you know, the little ones at home doesn't mean that it's not um, still relevant for you, this content we're talking about. And so for the month of November, we're going to talk about how we can make the most of the short season of influence that we have over our kids. I heard years ago um, a woman named Sandra Stanley. Uh, she said, and it's, it's so, I've, she's not the only one I've heard say this, but she's the first person I heard say this. She said, the days are long, but the years are short. And there's never been a more true statement. I mean, because there's some days it's like, you know, noon or three o'clock and you're like, is it bedtime yet? 
I'm over. I can't do anymore. Is, is the, this is the longest day ever. And, but yet, at the same time, you blink and they go from being newborns to nine-year-olds. And it's like, how did this happen in the blink of an eye? How can the days feel so long and yet the years are just zipping by so fast? And so the seasons that we have to influence our kids and to lead them and to mold them and to shape them and, and to pour goodness into their life, that real huge season of influence is so short even though it might be 18 or 20 years, but, but it's going to go by in a flash. And so we need to make the most of that season while they're in our care to do whatever we can to help lead them to having a life-changing, eternity-saving relationship with God through Jesus. And <clears throat> yes, obviously there's other things, other goals of parenting as well, you know. We want them to grow up, be successful, and not get in, not be in jail and things like that. You know, we could come up with all the things we want for our kids, but we can't neglect this responsibility, this, this divine role that God has given parents to impart faith to their children. We cannot neglect that. And so to talk about that today, we're going to look at a story um, from very early on in the Bible. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 4. These are actually the first kids we see in the Bible, and, and true to form, they grow up real fast. In fact, we go from, ch- from childhood, from them being brand new babies, to them being adults in like a half a sentence. And it, I, I read that, and I was like, you know, that's pretty appropriate, because that's kind of how I think it feels for a lot of us. In fact, one of the, the only, or the, the most common piece of advice I've gotten from, from people who are past their active parenting years was, don't miss it. It goes by in a blink. Don't miss it. In fact, um, our oldest has started giving us those, like, when... You know, when it, anytime a baby's born, they're like, when they're my age, I'm going to be 20 or something like that. And it's like, oh, gosh, oh, no. And it's like, you're closer to driving a car than you are to your birth. Oh, no. Like, when did this happen? Oh, like, it kind of like, I'm going to throw up. I feel so old. What's happening? I think my back just went out just hearing that. Like, oh, no, what's going to happen? And so, uh, you know, there's these moments they go by so fast, and we have got to make the most of it. And today's passage, there's, there's a truth in there that is so easy to miss, but it provides a great framework, some great perspective for how important this role of parenting is and how seriously we've got to take it. So we'll be in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> now, Adam and Eve... Or Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. So Abel's a shepherd, Cain is a farmer. And in the course of time, there's your grown-up sentence. In the course of time, they grew up. They're adults now on their own. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, or Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Now, this isn't the most important parenting lesson I've learned, but it was one of the first parenting lessons I learned once we had multiple kids, especially boys, is there is something about having a sibling in the house that just makes kids 
want to try to kill them. They cannot help it. When they have siblings, there's just something in them. And it's not always there in, in the same strength every day, but it is always there. Where they just want to fight and hurt each other. It's, it's, it's just there. And now we've gotten to the age where <clears throat> it's not uncommon for um, you know, everything to be going well. And then one of them just to be like, boom, out of nowhere. And just start an all-out war. And you're like, everything was fine. Why did you have to do that? Why did you have to yank that out of their hand or flick them in the ear? Everything was great. And they just can't, it's like they can't help it. And what's funny is I was the little brother and I remember doing that kind of stuff and yet I could not tell you why I did it. My brother is 11 years older than me and I knew if I like threw something at his face, I was going to get pummeled. And yet I still did it. And I have no idea why. It made no sense. But it is there. There is some intuitive built-in thing to us as humans that when we see our sibling, a lot of the time, we just can't help um, but, but start something. And we had a situation this week that I really didn't know how it was going to turn out. Because um, it started, we were on a, a, a parent-teacher conference Zoom call. So a video call doing parent-teacher conferences, which is weird in and of itself, right? And we did all the, talked about all the normal stuff, how they're doing in class, how they're doing with their work, grades, testing, all that stuff, right? And then one of the teachers... One of the voice teachers said, you know, I can hear your kids not always getting along on the Zoom call. And I don't know about Abby, but in that moment, like, my heart kind of stopped for a little bit because it was like, well, what's coming? Like, what's next? I don't know. Like, you've talked to the principal. I don't know. Who'd you call about us? Like, are you going to tell me, like, how bad a parents were? What's coming next? And so I was kind of, like, holding my breath. And then she said, and it made me feel relieved. Okay. She said, because I've got two boys who are exactly the same part, far apart or years apart, as your boys. And in the last, like, year, they have started fighting like cats and dogs. It is like 24-7 WWE wrestling at my house, and I was really worried that something was wrong with them because the teacher uh, grew up with siblings really spread out, and they never fought. So she's, like, this is her first encounter with sibling, you know, fighting. So I thought something was really wrong, and then I heard your kids fighting, and it made me feel a lot better about myself. And I was like, well, it's better than what I thought was coming. It's like, okay, good. Yeah, so we're normal, I guess. That's what she was trying to communicate. But I did not know which direction that was going to go. And I, I think Abby and I did, had this kind of collective like, whoo, okay, I didn't, I didn't have a clue what was coming. But whatever it is in us that causes us to have that tendency toward violence for our siblings, I don't know what it is. Um, but for Cain and Abel, it really shows up in full force. And Cain ends up killing his brother, Abel. And the reason why Cain gets so upset is that they both bring offerings to the Lord, but, but Abel brought his first and his best. Maybe you didn't understand what it meant when it said it brought the first of his flock and a fat portion, but, but basically it's just saying Abel brought his best to God, and Cain apparently didn't. Cain apparently brought like his leftovers, like he kept the best for himself and then took the stuff he wouldn't miss and brought it to God. And God favored Abel's offering, and he didn't have a lot good to say about Cain's offering. And Cain gets so angry, and he should have been angry, but he should have been angry at himself for trying to hold back from his creator, from this God who loved him. But instead, he gets mad at his brother for showing him up. He gets filled with jealousy that his brother got the praise that he wanted, even though he didn't want to do the work to receive the praise. And so Abel gets incredibly, incredibly angry, and he kills his brother, and he tries to hide the body by burying it in a field, as if God's not going to see everything that's happening. And so God goes and talks to Cain in verse 9. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? This is another good parenting 
thing to learn. This isn't even a part of really the message. This is just free. Um, one thing that God does, and I've seen a lot of good parents do this, is when they go talk to a kid who's done something wrong, they ask a question they already know the answer to. You ever done this? Like, who made the mess? You know who did it. You're right. And you know what your kid still always says? Not me. We joke in our house. We're like, everybody's innocent in Shawshank. Our house is like Shawshank prison. Nobody did it. Everybody's innocent. Nobody spilled the drink. Nobody made the other person bleed. Everybody's innocent in Shawshank. And so, but God goes, hey, where, where's Abel, your brother? God knows. God already knows. He's going to say that he does. And, and, and Cain says, I do not know. And then he gets sassy with God. He says, am I my brother's keeper? Like, am I his mama? Am I his, his nanny? No, I don't. Why should I know? And then, God said, and then the Lord says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground. His livelihood came from the ground. Remember, he's a farmer. And God says, now because you've tainted the ground with your brother's blood, you're cursed. Which has, uh, uh, you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. And you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. So God punishes Cain for killing his brother. And, and in this little story of God punishing Cain and Cain killing his brother, it, between the lines almost, there's a very, very powerful principle that we can totally miss because it's not expressly stated. Okay, and here it is. Every parent needs to learn this. When Cain killed Abel, who did God hold responsible? Cain. He didn't go to Adam and Eve and say, what's the deal with your kid? Kids, kill his brother. What's it? Get your kid shaped up. Deal with your kid. How, I can't believe you've let him get so out of hand. No. Once Abel grew up, or once Cain grew up, God spoke to Cain. Cain was responsible for his actions. And here's the thing. Our children are spiritual beings who will spend eternity somewhere. And our main job as parents is to use the time when we have influence to help do everything possible to lead them as closely as we can to Jesus. We cannot make that decision for them. We cannot make them accept Christ and, and be saved by his grace. That, that decision rides on them alone. In fact, the best way I've heard it said um, was from a pastor in Texas. He says, I can't light the fire of salvation in my kid's heart, but I can spend every moment that I have piling kindling around them so that when the Holy Spirit shows up and lights that spark, they just turn into a blaze of passion, fire, and energy, and love for the Lord. And so we have a moment to influence them. But ultimately, when it comes to their salvation, when it comes to them standing before God and being responsible for their life and their decision to follow Jesus, they're going to stand there alone. Our children are going to stand before God alone. They are going to have to be responsible for their choices, their decision whether or not to follow Jesus, how, that will affect their eternity. It's not like at that point, we, as parents, we can run in and, and protect them because we do that a lot. That's a, par a parental instinct. Even when they're older, there's this thing that says, I don't want them to hurt. I don't want them to suffer. And you want to rush in and save them from their pains. And you can do that when they're young. Like if they scrape their knee, you can run in and kiss the boo-boos and put on Band-Aids. When you're trying to teach them to ride a bike and they feel pretty wobbly, you can keep holding on to the bike because you don't want them to fall. And when they get older, maybe they get a, a bad grade. You can even, like, call the teacher and plead. Is there, is there, please, can they get some extra credit to turn this thing around? Please, can we do something different? I'll make sure that they do the homework from now on. And you can do that. And, and that might work in, like, junior high and grade school and high school. You might be able to get that. 
Well, what happens when they get into college and they do that? And they get the bad grades. And you call the teacher and the professor. And you say, can they get extra credit? You know what the professor's going to say? Uh, they're an adult. They're on their own. And they're going to hang up on you because that's ludicrous. We all know that. That once they get to a certain age, they have responsibility for themselves in all these areas of life. And the same is true. There's going to be a time when they leave our care and they stand alone before God responsible for the lives that they've lived and the choices that they've made. And so what that means to me is that as a parent, I cannot throw away this short season that I have, this short season that I have, this God-given role to disciple my kids. And so we're going to talk about that for the next few weeks. And I know as a parent, um, you know, all I can do is the best that I can do with the time that I have. Um, But the thing we've got to realize is that When it comes to discipling our kids, and that's the word I want to use, discipling, which is training them up in the faith, passing my faith, handing my faith off to my kids. When it comes to discipling our kids, that's no one's job but ours as parents. It's no one's job but ours. We can't pass it off. I think there was there's this tendency for us to think in churches, um, and obviously this is a weird season, but but where Christians have thought, okay, I can go to church and hear a sermon and get songs and learn some stuff about the Bible. And when it comes to discipling my kids, that's why there's the kids' ministry or the youth ministry. And I'll let the youth minister or the children's minister and all those volunteers disciple my kids. But that's not how God sees it. You can try to delegate that or pass it off to somebody else, but who does God hold responsible in those early years to to pass your faith on? God holds parents responsible. He says that's our job, to train our children in the ways that they should go so that when they get older, they will not depart from it. God says that's on us, And, and that passing things off hasn't worked. It really hasn't worked well. In fact, for for I'd say, you know, I don't know how long when youth ministry kind of became like the go-to thing in, in churches, but there's, there's been a, a le- lesser and lesser tendency of kids to follow in the footsteps of their parents when it comes to faith. And I think it's because we thought, oh, we have this resource here. Good. You go, this is easy. My kids go to youth group and, you know, kids' church, and then, woo, they, they'll just teach my kid everything they know about Jesus, and then, great, this is awesome. And, and what we're learning from youth group is that games and pizza don't lead people to Jesus. And what kids need is daily investment in their faith by a mom and a dad who know the kids, who understand what they're going through, what their lives are like. And you might say, well, then what's the point of children's ministry or youth ministry? It's to partner with parents, to help give resources to parents, to to do everything we can to, to put tools in your hands and to encourage you to raise your kids up in faith. But don't make the mistake of thinking that the church is going to do that for you. That's not one, I don't think it's the job that, as God looks at it, God, again, it's parents' jobs. But secondly, we've tried that, and it doesn't work. Because a youth minister, a children's minister, sees your kids two, maybe three hours a week. And you have all this other time, so much more time and influence over their lives. No one has the opportunity to positively influence your kids toward Jesus like you do. And it's really easy for us though, to lose sight of that goal because we got a lot of other stuff going on. And it's really easy to forget to use a day to take, you know, to make use of those extra spaces in the day to invest in, in your kids' lives for Christ. Because again, there's just so much other stuff going on. And so it's really easy for us to kind of drift from that mission and get hung up on something else. Um, you know, one of the temptations that I've noticed 
is we kind of think sometimes as parents, it's just our job to make our kids follow the rules. And if we can just get our kids to follow the rules, everything will be okay. And that's because kids, when they get to be kids, it's chaotic and it's crazy and, and kids are wild and they make messes and, and you think, if I could just get them to follow the rules and do the things I tell them to do and stay away from the things I say to not do, then everything would be fine, the house would be cleaner, life would be less crazy, and they wouldn't embarrass me every time I go to the store. And, and then we take that, that push, that, that, that mistaken thought thinking that obedience would fix everything, and we kind of apply that to our faith and how we treat our kids with faith. And we think, if I can just get them to follow the rules, go to church, do these things, don't do these things, pray here, read the Bible. If I can just get them to follow the rules, then they'll, that'll, be, that'll take care of it. But that doesn't always work either. This legalistic, rules-based faith is not something that is really that appetizing for kids, students, and for a lot of people. It comes across as dry and heartless and... and um, it can be magnified if mom and dad aren't very good at following the rules themselves, but they're really good at making the, trying to make their kids follow the rules. Another big temptation uh, for parenting that I've noticed in our culture is the temptation to focus on trying to make your kids successful. Oh, man, got to get my kid to have good grades so they can get a good, into a good college and get a good job and, you know, not end up living in my basement forever. I really, I want to do all these things, so I'm going to push them to get good grades, and I'm going to talk to their teacher, and if they get a bad test score, I'm going to really be on them, and then I'm going to make them do all the sports, and I'm going to tell them to work real hard, and hopefully they'll learn hard work and, you know, try, you know, the, this intuitive, try harder, stick to whatever you want to call that, persistence. That's the word I was looking for. Boy, I couldn't get there. Um, and so you want your kids to learn these things, right? And so you push them harder and you got to do better. And, you know, hopefully if they do good enough in sports, maybe they'll get a scholarship. And maybe, just maybe because they're my child with my very good genetics, maybe they'll go pro, baby. And, and which happens, you know, never. <clears throat> right? And so we push our kids because we want them to be successful. And then there's a worse version of that, that's another temptation, which is when pride gets into the driver's seat of our lives, and we want our kids to be successful, not for their own good, but so that we can hold our kids up like trophies to our friends and family and our small communities. We say, look how smart my kid is. Look at the bumper stickers I have on my car. Look at, you know, at graduation, look at all the list of achievements they read off about my kid and how many, like, two they read off about your kid. <laughs> my kid's better. And so we look how good my kid is at sports. Look at the scholarship. Look at this one. Look at all the things my kids have done. And so we push and we push and we push because we want them to be a trophy. We want to siphon all the glory we can off of their achievements. There's so many ways to get distracted. But there's kind of a newer one, and it's not new, but it's amplified. I guess I'll say it that way. Uh, distraction, and that is in the season that we're in with parents having, I mean, just being on 24-7 and kids being there all the time and having to do school and all that stuff, I think there's just this kind of temptation to just get focused on surviving the day. Just get through the day. Feed them. Get the schoolwork done. Get everybody ba- bathed in bed at time, on the right time, and then I can sit on the couch for three seconds before I fall asleep. Just got to get through the day because everybody's tired. We're all wiped out. We're all discouraged. We think there's never going to be an end to all this stuff. But if that's you, if that's you, and you feel discouraged, you might have even, like heard me say, you got to disciple your kids, and went, uh, that's one more thing. It's one more thing I got to do, and life's already full, and I don't have time for anything. It's so much. Life is just so much, and it might have been really discouraging. But let me say a couple things to that, two things to that. If you're tired and worn out and distracted just by kind of trying to get through the day, if that's your main motivation, two things. One is discipling your kids probably isn't nearly as hard as you think. 
I think we get so psyched out about leading my kids to Jesus. Like, that's, like, I don't know the Bible very well. Can I lead my kid to Jesus? What do I do when they ask me a question I don't know? Is that going to ruin their faith forever? Um, so we get so fearful of the, the, the thought that maybe we can't do it that we just don't want, even want to try. And I think there's a lot of people that do that because they're so scared of, of even uh, of not doing well that we just back up and don't try at all. But here's the thing. Knowing the Bible front, frontwards and backwards is not necessary to disciple your kids. Having an answer to every single question they could possibly ever ask is not necessary to discipling your kids. Yeah, those things can be helpful, but not necessary. What they need to see, and we'll talk about this, we'll talk about this, what they need to see are moms and dads, grandmas, grandpas, aunts and uncles, what they need to see are people who are trying their hardest to follow Jesus in the world that we live in. That's, that's going to be the best key for helping them to just see examples of it. And people who are imperfect but trying and apologizing when they make mistakes and, and just working their way through it. They need to see real humans as they try to follow their faith. And, and if you get to those places where you know, you think, I need to know more about the Bible or some, you know, some lessons or some guidance would be helpful. Guess what? That's where we come in. That's where the church can show up to help you with that. When your kids ask you a question you don't know, because that will happen every other day, depending on the season of life that they're in, we can be there for that. I can't tell you how many times I've been emailed or called by parents or texted saying, my kid just asked me if God wears shoes. What do I do with that? Like, my kid just asked me about, like, did Adam ride dinosaurs? I'd never thought about it. I have no idea what to tell them. What do I do? I am glad to help with those crazy, off-the-wall, imaginative, incredibly creative questions that they're going to ask. I'm, gr- I'm glad to do that. Because after being asked a few of them, and being a dad who's been asked those directly, I've thought through some of the weird stuff, and I, I've, you know, I know how to answer some of those. And I'm glad to help with that. So this is where the... The, the role of parents being the major primary disciplers of kids and the church coming together can, can really be, the, I think, the, the good fit, the perfect fit for this, uh, this goal of raising and discipling kids. But, but it's got to fall primarily on parents willing to love and invest in their kids for Christ. So, discipling doesn't have to be nearly as hard as you fear. But the second thing, even if it is hard, even if you're already tired, can we afford to not? If your kid's going to spend eternity somewhere and their decision about whether or not to follow Jesus is going to make that determination and there's nothing you can do to intervene on their behalf, but they've got, you've got to kind of impart this wisdom to them and let them make a decision, can, it, can you really afford to just pass this off and hope somewhere along the way situations line up that they might decide to give their life to Christ? No, this is too important. There's too much at stake. Their eternities are at stake. And once they get old enough to be held accountable for their sins, they will stand before God responsible for themselves. And so we need to take the seasons when they are impressionable, when we can invest in them and love them as best as we can towards Christ. And so the rest of this series is going to be about how to do that, how to disciple our kids not just to sur- survive till they get to 18, not just to help them be successful. Those things are all good and well and not bad at all. That's part of, what, part of the deal. But we cannot neglect this important God-given role of leading our kids, influencing our kids, 
to Jesus. And so we're going to talk about how to do that. We're going to talk about what they need from you. We're going to talk about discipline because that's hard. Discipline is hard. And the, the, the better you discipline, the harder it's going to be. Because me and Abby learned this really early on. The best punishments for your kids are actually punishments for you too. You know what I mean? We can't go to that thing we were going to go to that we were all looking forward to. So now we have to sit at home. We were all looking forward to that. You're disappointed? Guess what? Now I am too. They're, they're kind of that way. So the better the, more, uh, the better the punishment is, the more energy it's going to require, which is difficult. So we're going to talk about that kind of stuff, how to, how to handle that. We're going to talk about how specifically to disciple our kids, what to do, practical advice, because we cannot delegate it away. We can't. We can't totally off, offload it onto the church. That is abdicating the job that God expects us to do. We can't ignore it, and we can't let life distract us away from it. Because our kids will spend eternity somewhere, and we have a great opportunity to make sure it's in heaven with us for all eternity. And I don't want to miss that chance, and I don't want you to miss that chance. And I, ultimately, I can't make the decision. I can't light the fire. But by golly, I'm going to spend every second I got piling up that kindling in hopes and in prayers that God would, would light it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so incredibly grateful for our kids whether we're grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles, moms, dads, uh, great-grandparents, we're grateful, friends even. We're we're so grateful for the the opportunity to love these kids who are wild and and fun and creative and imaginative and adventurous. They remind us maybe some of the exciting parts of life that we've forgotten about. We're so grateful for them. And I just pray that we would love them well and that we would be so intentional about loving them well that we wouldn't let life distract us away from that. And that we wouldn't get so scared of failing that we do nothing, but that we would decide that this is our chance. This is our moment while they're younger, while they're in our care, to do whatever we can to lead them to you and to point them in your direction. And to model as best we can, as broken human beings, the love of Christ. So give us, Father, the determination to do that, to disciple our kids, to realize that it is our job as parents to lead them to you as best as we are able, and to do whatever we can to help them to make the, the right decision to surrender their eternities into the hands of Jesus, who died for their sins and ours. So thank you for Christ and the salvation we have that is not just the hope for us, but the hope for all generations. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.